And you're listening to Do We Click, a monthly research podcast on the digital relationship between journalists and their audiences. Do We Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam. This is episode four, part one of my double episode on the audience dilemma. I will explore the meaning of the word audience and we will see how well journalists actually know their audience members. Biking through Rotterdam, I approach a traffic light. When I stop and wait for the red light, I hear music. Weird. Is it one of the other bikers who's playing music loudly? Some people do that, you know. Either they forgot their headphones, or they truly think that they do their fellow citizens a favor. Then I notice a little speaker attached to the traffic light. A sign says, press the button for the next song. Funny. When I press the button, an explanatory note appears. I read, Tommy Boy Culkins, 13, died on his bike while he was operating the music on his phone. We listen to his playlist now. And the note ends with, play attention. Wow, that seriously hit me. What a sad story. He was so young. During the rest of the trip, I keep my smartphone safely in my pocket. When we want to get a message across, we can simply exchange information. Smoking is bad for your health. Voting is important. Biking while using your smartphone is dangerous. That is information based on facts. Communication, marketing and PR professionals know that if we want a message to have more impact, to be more persuasive, we need to make it more engaging. When people feel emotional about a certain topic, they are usually more likely to really pay attention to it. That is the reason why we see pictures of black lungs on cigarette packaging. Why an American firefighting brigade is posting more photos of saved kittens on their social media. And it also explains this Rotterdam traffic light initiative. It makes people feel something. And in the process, they are more likely to change their behavior. The balance between engaging and informing is important here. If you provide too much dry information, we get distracted or doze off. If you make it too engaging, we might miss the essence of the message. Also, news organizations have to find a balance between engaging and informing their audiences. Engaging readers, listeners and viewers is important to attract people and interest them for news, to appear on social media timelines, inspire visits to news websites and apps, and keep people coming back, hopefully also willing to pay for news. In that sense, news organizations are just like other brands that need to attract customers. I do believe that journalists are facing a somewhat different challenge than, say, brands such as Nike or Starbucks. Communication is not their secondary activity. News is their main product. And informing the audience is their public task, the reason they are so important. Because we all should be informed in case of elections, political decisions, global disasters, or the climate. The thing is, 
that not all valuable information is equally engaging. Journalists know that their article on the provincial elections will probably get less attention than an article about a famous soccer player divorcing his wife. And that is what I call the audience dilemma in journalism. In this episode, part one of the audience dilemma, we will start with finding out what the audience actually is, what journalists know about their audiences, and I will give some examples on how they actually try to get to know them better. The word audience stems from the Latin word audire, which means to hear. This makes sense, since before there were printing presses or visual media, listening to something was the most common way of receiving information. Midway to 19th century, when print was getting more common, an audience could also mean readers of a book. And right after the Second World War, when people started buying televisions, the audience as viewers of television programs was introduced. In that sense, the meaning of the word moved from audience as being a crowd of people present at the same time, in an auditorium for example, to an activity that was bound to a specific piece of content. In the previous podcast we learned that in the context of journalism, the audience, in the first place, is the recipient of news. They read, watch or listen. Note that this already requires more effort than just looking or hearing. In the perspective of an online information environment, where content to read, watch or listen to is so incredibly overwhelming, we might want to focus even more on the attention aspect. Not necessarily the activity of hearing or seeing something, but the act of really paying attention to something. When I give a lecture, my audience is in the room where I speak. Since I'm wearing a microphone, I'm sure that they can hear me. But what if they are all on their laptops and tablets focusing on other things? chatting with their friends on Messenger or watching YouTube videos or following the Kardashians on Instagram, then I think that they're actually the audience of somebody else. We might conclude the word audience itself does not give us really insights. It feels like a big mass of people all consuming the same. Looking more closely at the audience makes the picture more detailed and also more complicated. Rule number one, there is not one audience. Audience members have certain characteristics, motivations and ideas, and live in a specific context that also defines, in a sense, their news needs. Geographical location, for example, is important for many people. I live in The Hague and work in Rotterdam. An incident in the port of Rotterdam would probably interest me more than an incident in the port of Antwerp but also cultural proximity and other social characteristics might be important. Becoming a parent, for example, has altered the way I perceive child-related news messages. And then there are also behavioral aspects that count. For some people, following the news is a habit, while others might stumble on the news once in a while. There are people who do not follow the news on purpose. I remember speaking to somebody from the meetup audience who told me that he doesn't follow the news because he perceives it as being too negative. All these combined elements make understanding who the audience is rather complicated. Consuming content is one thing, but audiences are involved in more activities. The activity that is very connected to consumption, you can't really see the one without the other, is interpretation. 
as members of media audiences, we're actively making sense of what we watch, read, or listen to. In the 80s, also academics discovered that audience members interpret media content based on their own backgrounds, networks, and focus. They discuss things with each other and make up their own mind. They think about it. For many people, their active role as audience member will end here. A much smaller group of people will take on a more active role by sharing news messages on social media, commenting on news videos or producing content themselves, they actively participate in news production. Participating audience members have, again, a lot of different motivations to do so. A last activity of the audience for news is something we do without noticing it. We provide data. Especially online, we leave a trail of clicks, stats on how long we've stayed on a certain page, what we visited after, where we came from in the first place, etc. These data are very valuable for news organizations because it can help them to attract advertisers and analyze these data to understand better what their audience members do online and how they can accommodate that. The case of MidMedia from episode 2 is hopefully still fresh in our minds as an interesting example here. Since there is so much data available nowadays, it should be quite easy for news organizations to determine who the audience actually is, don't you think? To check to what extent that is actually true, I ask all journalists I speak to, who is your audience and what do you know about them? In reality, it actually is a difficult question for most of them. Let me try to sketch an image of the audience based on what I've learned from the journalists I spoke to. This is this one first preliminary result of my research so far. First of all, we can make a distinction between the target audience and the real audience. Most journalists start their answer by sketching their news organization's target audience, the people they try to reach with their news. In regional news organizations, this target audience is often described as everybody living in our province or people who feel connected to this region, for example, because they were born there. National news organizations usually also have a broad image of their target audience. Sometimes this target audience is somewhat differently defined, for example, according to socioeconomic background or political preferences. But all in all, news organizations do not have very specific target audiences. All journalists agree on this, and most indicate it is really difficult to target everybody. That is why many journalists indicate they have a certain sense of their audience, although they cannot really specify where that sense comes from. A journalist explained to me that he always thinks about that neighbor from across the street that needs to be able to understand what the news is about. All journalists try to level with their audience and translate complicated political and economic matters to make it understandable and personal. To facilitate audience understanding in news production, some news organizations work with personas. A persona is a description of an archetypical user a fictional representative of the target audience. Personas are often used in product development and advertising to make the quite broad and uniform target audience more lifelike and easier to imagine for the people who have to target them. In some news organizations, the persona has a name. Tracy, 38 years old, divorced and living in a suburb with her two children while working in a secondary school as a teacher. Sometimes a persona is a family, 
And in some organizations, the persona is still mentioned sometimes, but more as a joke, because it is not representative anymore. They'll say things like, hey, how would Tan feel about this? In this case, journalists often refer to personas that were created a long, long time ago. In some organizations, they are actually developing new ones. I think that for news organizations, the usefulness of personas is not as clear as in marketing, especially if there's just one that is used. The product of news organizations is not uniform. They target different people with different news topics. While probably almost all of us are interested by big breaking news and the weather, soccer news is for a more specific audience, as is financial news. A number of content-based personas might be the solution here, but I have not yet seen examples of this in news organizations. Actually, could dynamic personas be an option? People change, target audiences develop, and it should be possible to actually make content-based dynamic personas based on what certain target audiences are doing online, what they speak about, for example. But that is just one idea maybe a project that I would like to further develop in the future. It should be clear by now that a target audience is an imaginary audience, but it's not necessarily the real audience. Many news organizations are doing reception or audience research to find out who their real audience is. Some organizations organize focus groups with audience members. And of course, online data makes it way easier to get an idea. Still, the image that most journalists have of their real audience is usually limited to two characteristics, age and geographical location. In general, they know in which region or city their audience lives, and that the average age of their real audience is not representative of the target group. It is actually higher. Most news consumers that read newspapers, listen to radio or watch television are 55+. plus. This is an age category that is mentioned almost by all journalists that I speak to. Many journalists indicate that their organization has trouble attracting a younger audience, although new channels such as social media allow them to diversify a bit. The interviews also clearly show that journalists are aware of the differences between the audiences they reach on different channels. The television, radio and newspaper audience is the oldest, 55 plus, as I said. The audience that visit the websites of news organizations is somewhat younger and also broader. For example, in regional journalism, when there is a big incident in Asse, also people from outside of the region will visit the website of the regional broadcaster or regional newspaper to search for information. The audience on Facebook is, again, a bit younger and sometimes labeled by the journalist as quite negative in their comments. The Instagram audience is even younger more leaning towards positive news and more woke, a word I didn't know yet, but which means more engaged or more sensitive towards societal issues such as equality and the environment. Journalists adapt their topic choice and their tone of voice to these specific audience groups. For regional news organizations in particular, it's difficult to attract a younger audience group, let's say under 25 or 30 years old. One explanation could be that younger people who are still living at their parents or studying are less interested in the news about their province. Once they have settled somewhere, they also get more aware of their surroundings and this particular new highway that the province is building is more interesting to them when they commute to work. 
it seems that regional news organizations realize that for this target audience, they just need to be around and display their brand so that they are top of the mind. The day comes that this part of the audience actually has an interest in their region and is looking for information. Speaking of who the audience is, of course there are some exceptions. A minority of news organizations, you will probably find them highly ranked in lists that indicate online reach, pay special attention to the available data. They have a more in-depth understanding, not necessarily who the audience is, but more what the audience likes and does. They know what percentage of their audience watches video, what the most read news categories are and how long people stay online. That people online read shorter articles, but that they usually spend a similar amount of time online, no matter how much content you present to them. These organizations often have people working for them that are dedicated data analysts or audience engagement editors. And this is something maybe not all news organizations can afford. All in all, I think that journalists do have an image of their audience, but it is in general somewhat limited. Even when there is a lot of information available on news consumption practices, it is still unclear who the audience members really are and what they want from a news organization. I think there are quite some interesting questions to explore when I will start researching the audience perspective in my research. I will close this episode with some interesting Dutch initiatives of journalists who want to get to know their audiences better. One way of involving your audience in getting to know them in the process is by inviting them to cooperate in news production. Journalists from RTV West are doing this in a project on question-based journalism. On the RTV West website, audience members can send in questions and journalists select the ones that they find most newsworthy. They then search for the answer and, together with the person who asked the question, make a news item in which the question is answered. A second initiative I would like to mention is Nu.nl, a Dutch news website. They just started a new project in an attempt to improve the reactions and discussions on their user pages, where users can leave comments. They've posted an invitation to audience members who are professionals in a certain field, such as pilots or teachers. They ask them to join their online panel. In the future, when they publish articles on a certain topic, they will ask these expert members to react and improve the discussion. An interesting experiment and maybe we can ask them to what extent it is successful at a later point in time. In addition to online experiments, also offline is a way to get to know the audience. Every year, for example, the Dutch national newspaper NRC invites their readers for a special night where they can meet journalists and columnists of the newspaper. One last special initiative I have encountered during my research so far is at the Barneveldse Krant where journalists have organized a number of dinners, for which they invited audience members. In a restaurant, they hosted over 80 people and the journalists served. In between serving the food, they had the opportunity to exchange ideas with their audience members, their guests, and got to know them a little bit better. I think this was a great initiative. Maybe a bit time-consuming, but in the end, the journalists knew better who their real audience is. It was great publicity, and the audience members felt that they were important for the newspaper. Do you know of other ways to get to know the audience better? Or do you think it's not necessary at all? 
Maybe a journalist should actually keep a safe distance to be more professional. Let me know. Share your experience by sending me an email or leave a message on LinkedIn. Next podcast, I will explore the audience dilemma further. That was it for now. Next time, I'll tell you more. Will you click again? Dewey Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University, Rotterdam.